This is the Amazing Starts Here podcast. Today's guest, Jay Horowitz, who is best known for his job with the Mets in public relations, but now as he is kind of retired, he's still around the club. Uh, he's doing an, a Mets alumni podcast, and I sit back on this one because Billy and Jay go way back. They have a great history. Uh, so I just sit back like I hope you will at home, just listening to some of these great stories. If you work in media relations, if you work in PR, if you work in baseball and you love quirky, fun tales that get people's attention, this is the podcast episode for you. Uh, Billy, I know, especially at the end of this, that uh, you and Jay kind of tie a bow on how you guys got started together, but wh who is Jay Horowitz to you and, and, and how do people, how should people look and understand Jay? Well, Jay, Jay's a walking, talking Mets encyclopedia. Um, I mean, he's been involved with the team for over 40 years now. Um, he started off in the early eighties, sort of as the Mets were coming of age and then was there as they transitioned into a world series champion and um, has seen sort of the ups and downs over the last four decades. But um, for, for me personally, I had the opportunity to, to work with him. Um, I was uh, media relations uh, coordinator uh, the last year at Shea and then the first few years at um, City Field. Um, but I also met him when I was uh, younger, when I was uh, in junior high doing a history fair project um, and had the opportunity to meet him um, at that point. And he's uh, helped me you know, do some research and talk to some of the players on on the Mets about the uh, impact of Roberto Clemente that they had growing up in, in Puerto Rico. Um, but he's, I've always been so intrigued by Jay because when you think of um, public relations and you think of someone who's a spokesperson for a team, you think of the three button suit and the slick back hair and uh, the, the polished guy. And that's, that's not Jay, but he's been so successful because he is unapologetically himself um, and I think that really comes out during this conversation. And he's just, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a guy who, um, you know, has, has your back. And in my instance, um, you know, we've been friends for, uh, you know, uh, over, you know, almost a decade and a half at this point. Um, and he's also the guy who came up with Sid Finch and, and helped orchestrate that. So as we hear, we hear, uh, we're here on uh, April Fool's Day and one of the greatest April Fool's jokes ever played um jay had an instrumental role in sid finch as well yeah as you listen to this podcast spotify apple wherever i would uh encourage you to just google sid finch on wikipedia and read it as we talk about it because he was a, a huge part of it but uh i'm excited that everyone gets to hear our conversation with jay horowitz it's the type of thing that 30 seconds in you realize this is a never-ending conversation he's just a great guy to borrow for 20 minutes so we borrowed jay horowitz for 20 minutes and hopefully you enjoy just as much as we did so I'm a little bit of an outsider today, uh, but I'll, I'll try to jump in where I can. We're, we're chatting with Jay Horowitz from Mets PR and the Mets Alumni Podcast. 36 years ago in March, where we just were, um, the birth of Sid Finch, which we want to touch on first before we jump into the you know four-decade career that you had and currently have with the Mets. And Billy's a nerd for promos, and he I think he told me before this, this is the best promotion ever done, ever. And you were involved in Sid Finch. So what was your involvement in potentially the greatest promotion ever done? 
So this was probably mid-February 1985. I got called into Frank Cashman's was a GM in the Mets at the time. And he said he got a proposal from George Plumpton of NSI. They wanted to do this crazy scheme that, that we would sign a, uh, a, a guy from Tibet who pitched with one boot and threw 116 mile an hour fastball. He said, you think you could sell it, Jay? I said, Frank, I came from Fairleigh Dickinson where we had a one-armed fencer, a one-armed uh, soccer player, a priest who played hockey, a 43-year-old freshman football player, and a baseball player who was hit by a pitcher 120 a time. I'm all in, Frank. So I, that was uh, we put out a press release, and uh, um, so the the mag the the the, uh, the the cover story said the curious case of Sid Finch, and people didn't pick it up that the first opening line of the paragraph this is an April Fool's joke, and it took people about a day or so to really pick up what was going on. But it's fun while it lasted, though. So. When you see this story from George Plimpton and it's it's comes to you and they're all right, we're gonna do this. How do you present it to the guys on the team? I mean, we had Dwight Gooden there and Daryl Strawberry. This is a team that was about to become a World Series champion. I, I went around to each of the guys. I, like I asked some of the younger guys on the team to take batting practice against Sid, Lenny Dykstra, John Christensen, Dave Cochran. And I told, gave a heads up to, he locked in between Strawberry and George Foster. So I just, I didn't tell everybody what was going on. So they all bit, you know, what, and, and the guy is probably the best was the late Mel Stoudemire. Mel went all in. We had a, a, a big tent in the Huggett Stangle Field in back of the tent. And we set up a bogus uh, uh, bullpen session that Sid was going to throw to Ron Reynolds, one of our catchers. And the press could talk to Ron afterwards. So we, I went into the cage and I burnt the hole in Ron Reynolds' glove. So we came out, Ron was standing next to Mel and said, this is a 140 mile an hour curveball. And Mel was so good. We got to sit through great. You guys to see him at a certain point. I don't know how he's going to fit in the rotation. And then the best call I got really from that was uh, the sports editor, one of the New York papers called me. He was MF and me the next day. They said, how could you give Sports Illustrated the exclusive? We cover you guys every day. What are you doing? The beat guys didn't talk to me for a day or so. And sooner by later, it, it kind of seeped out. You know, Billy, this age of TikTok, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you can never do that today. And, you know, we, 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 we shocked the baseball world for about a day, a day and a half. It was a lot of fun. That's my favorite part of this whole thing. You know, now you can't have a chicken parm with your shortstop without it being all over Twitter. And this it, was... It, it, this yeah. was government secrets. This is great. Jim Fry, who was a, who was a coach in '84, went to manage the Cubs in '85. He called me. He said, "Jay, this is a crazy story. This is not true." Jim, read Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated never lies. And it was it was fun. We, you know, it you know it was a harmless thing. And and you know, like I say, Mel was great, and younger guys, you know, and and you know, Ron Darling added some quotes. So, you know, I went to four or five or six of the older guys. I mean, like Davey Johnson, of course, had to know, and he, you know, kept him abreast what was going on. It was a you never could do it today, but probably I can't think of another joke in another sport that would had much legs as this story did. You know, and look at it, thirty six years later, we're still talking about it. Yeah, I mean, we we did a bobblehead a few years ago where we had Joe Burton come. And we had George Clinton's son come and throw a first pitch with one boot on. And I mean, it's 36 years later and it was one of the most popular things we've done. People still yeah. love it. It's, it's such a uniquely Mets story. Um, yeah. And obviously you, you had a huge part in that, but not only the words from George Plimpton, I think were, were, were unbelievable and convincing and turned into, you know, a, a book. Um, but the photography from Lane, 
uh, Stewart and Joe Burton playing the, the role, I think, really added to the story. And, and they, were, they were close friends. I mean, Joe, I actually spoke to Joe last week. He's a school teacher, and he's still getting calls. He's still getting letters. Lane Stewart told me that story was the most – more people wrote letters about that story than anyone in the history of Sports Illustrated as, as of today still. So and, it, and they were best buddies. That's the whole part of it was great. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my favorite part. When you look back at it, I mean, ESPN did a, a, a 30 for 30 about right. it. And uh, they have the pictures of Joe on the camels in front of the pyramids. And it just really built up the whole, yeah. uh, just nostalgia. And I guess the just... Uh, Joe looked like a Sid, didn't he? Really? He, he looked did. like he, he looked like a guy who was raised in Tibet and <laughs> was a yogi and <laughs> did all that stuff. I mean, it was straight out of central casting it was perfect one time one time george foster george had that high squeaky voice he would go sid you want to go outside throw a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i just i i I can't imagine like like you said you know just the the reaction of this like going into i mean you were with terry collins going to the terry collins office and be like hey tc i got a thing for you here quick we're gonna have a guy 168 miles an hour and, you know, we retired him the next week after the story came out. We had a Cinefinch day, and he, he retired. He was going back to Tibet. And we had a, we brought him back to Outlying Stadium, and, and Sid's careerless in about a week. <laughs> I'd kill for a week of a big league career, Jay. Most people would. <laughs> me, me too, Billy. Me too. Uh, so this was sort of the first, but I know April Fool's has sort of become a thing that you love to do over the years. I did. I mean, I know when I was, when I was working with you over there, we had – a Tiger Woods impersonator that the, the New York Post bid on and then got a little fired up about that they didn't weren't in on the joke as well. So what are we some had, of the other uh, stuff you've done over the years? We, uh, uh, the late Rusty's Tom, whose birthday's come, was born on April 1st, 19, you know, so I put a uh, note in the St. Pete Times that Rusty Staub was turning 42 today and he invites all of his fans to drop off gifts at the Hunger Stangle Fieldhouse. You don't think it's got to be a $50 minimum. <laughs> the next day, we had about 12 or 13 gifts, and Rusty was so mad at me. God, I mean, he never got me. He was so kicked off at me. And these people dropped off these gifts. And so the following October, the Welcome Home Dinner, he had a guy to throw a pie in my face. The next time uh, you do something like that to me, can I say cow shit on the podcast? Yeah, you can he say anything you want, Jay. It's the next time you do something, you have somebody throw cow shit on you. And I used to make up these, these things that, you know, Anthony Young, one of our pitchers, you know, signed with the Houston uh, football team. He played football, and they used to make a ball. He's, uh, you know, what Bob Gibson was a coach for us in my second year there, my first year in '80. Bob is an old-time baseball guy, so I had a note there on April first. Bob Gibson will be signing autographs for free at the local A and P in St. Petersburg. There's about 150 people came down to the A and P looking for Bob Gibson. Believe me, I matured in my old age. I don't do that anymore now. I've oh, got sure. very good humor. So oh, sure, I, yeah, you're yeah. definitely mature, Jay. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't stay away from that stuff. But I had some fun, you know. Yeah, you got to have some fun, you know. That was my motto. Well, you wrote too as well uh, recently that um, Fred Cash is just hiring you in general. I mean, did you did you think that you'd be able to be this comfortable in a job that uh, that you'd have that you, that you feel like you barely even got? No, <laughs> it's not crazy at all. stories. No, I mean, I when I got the when I interviewed for the job, I I I, I flew down, I went to the wrong hotel. It was about a half hour late, and Frank was sitting in his little white tennis shorts at the table. I was so nervous, I spilled this gigantic picture of oranges all over his lap. And he asked me one question. Did I read a baseball book? I said, Frank, I know what you're talking about. He said, well, this interview is over. 
was about, I looked at my clock, it was about five minutes and 30 seconds. I went, drove back to the airport and called my late mom. His mom, there's no way I got this freaking job. And somehow, 42 years later, in a different role, I'm still here. But I, I owe a great deal of credit. Joe Torrey really was great with me. He was my first manager. You know, he introduced me to all his friends, to Reggie Jackson, to Pete Rose, to George Brett. He took me out to eat at his restaurant. He really told me how to get acclimated to a major league locker room. And I'll be forever dead to Joe until this day if I need something for a charity thing. He's always there. He always picks the phone up. But without Joe Torrey, I was 33, 34-year-old kid coming out of Fairleigh Dickinson, walking into a major league locker room, and Joe was the best. He really made me feel comfortable and be forever indebted to him. So uh, you, you talked about, um, you know, Frank Cashin and Joe Torrey and how important both of them were to you in your, in your career as well. But what, during your time at Fairleigh Dickinson, you, you got this job because you had sort of a unique skill set in terms of pitching stories. And at the time, the Mets weren't necessarily back page material. Right. So what, what was some of the stuff that you uh, were able to, to, to accomplish and, and take advantage of over at Fairleigh Dickinson? You touched on it briefly before, but can yeah, you go a little well, more detail? Well, probably the best athlete I had there was uh, Franklin Jacobs, who was a high jumper. He jumped two feet over his head, won the Milrose game. Then Steve Dembowski was a five foot four second baseman. He was hit four years, 128 times by pitch. But the best thing, Billy, is a PR guy, you'd appreciate that. In his senior year, we had cameras come out 11 times, and he was hit by pitch every time the TV station was there. And Jim Bowden loved him. The late Jim Bowden loved him. We, we had Jim helped him get signed with the Yankees. And then we had a, we had his Israeli and Arab goalie on the soccer team. Um, we, had a, we had a one-armed fencer, okay? This almost got me fired, Billy. The fellas, I don't know what his name is, Tom Smith. So I used to write articles for the local paper. I wrote this one article, Bob Smith defeated Rutgers single-handedly. So I got one arm. So I got called into the press. And so I said, Jay, what the hell are you doing with your life here? And I, you know, it just gravitated towards me. You know, uh, we had our first baseman on the baseball team worked in the, this is the height of the Vietnam Wars. He worked in a munitions factory. So I had him posing our first base with a bomb in his, uh, grenade in his glove. You know, Bob Grossi doesn't drop baseballs or grenades. So that's how I got by for eight years. And, and the Mets noticed it. They noticed they wanted an offbeat guy. The Mets were very good. And and I'm as, as well, you know, Billy, I was offbeat as they get. So they, they hired me. My first story, I wrote stories about Doug Flynn uh, being a, he sang with the Oak Ridge Boys in a, in a country and western job. Lee Mazzilli was a speed skater. So I kind of took my fairly Dickinson roots and brought him to the Mets the first couple of years until we got good in 1983. Waiting that, for it. that Lee Mazzilli speed skating story carries on to this day. I mean, last year it there does. was I go the guy the the hands. They still yeah. mention it. I got to tell you, so I called Mass up. I said, Mass, this is Jay. Yeah, what do you want, Jay? I want to do my speed skating. He said, you got to be kidding me. It's a 40-year-old story. <laughs> so we got two pages in the Daily News, though. You know? Yeah, yeah. That and Ron Darling versus Frank Fiola in the uh, yeah. in the college. Yeah, we're still two. bringing that up every uh, every day. So. <laughs> Those two carry on forever. Yeah. Where, where did this? Where did it come from? I mean, was it was it comedic influences growing up, or, or just crazy a crazy childhood? Like, where did you I never, have I, the confidence was, in this stuff? I never, I never took myself seriously. I always was able to laugh at myself, and I, I always look for not the runs, hits, and errors. What made a guy tick? What was offbeat about him? What would people? want to hear about you know even the stuff i did at fairly we weren't a really big school but to come up with good interest stories i found 
the papers want to read about no matter how good a bad jar and they know you know like the guy you know an arab and israeli goalie on the same soccer team how good is that you know guy gets hit by a pitch 128 times you know we ever see a priest play hockey so we got him on to tell the truth they didn't they didn't guess him either you know remember they all you guys are too young to remember was it to tell the truth i'm father john pierce i play hockey at fairly and they didn't guess it. It just something ingrained in me. I'm kind of, as Billy knows, I'm kind of a, I have a warped personality and crazy things attract to me and I attract to them. And that's how I made my career. I was never able, I was only able to laugh at myself. You know, if you can't have fun with yourself, we can have fun with. So you have all these stories and for forever, we would always say, Jay, you need to write a book. Jay, you need to write a book. Yeah. And you'd always say, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. I don't want to do it. And then all of a sudden here comes Mr. Met. Yeah. And it, it's published and it's, People love it, and people are buying it all over the place. What changed for you, and what, what made things, that? Billy, I know I was coming to the end of my career, and as Billy, you know, knows, uh, uh, well, and then in the book, you know, I was born with a blind in my right eye. I had I had been artificial eye since I was thirteen. Didn't really tell many people. I was always embarrassed for some reason to tell people. You know, my days of you know modeling the cover of GQ kind of over with. So I figured, let me tell my secrets. And I wanted, I was hoping to, to, to people who weren't born perfectly with a disability, hey, you can make something a career. And I'm hoping maybe somebody born with this or that would see, read my story and see you could do that. The other thing is, Billy, I wanted to pay tribute to Shannon Ford, uh, who Billy knows well, who worked with, me, worked with us for 20 plus years. And I didn't want people to forget her. So I wanted to have a tribute to her in a, in a, in a, in a book. And those are really the two main reasons why I want to write the book. And I never wanted to hurt anybody. It's never to be a, a tell-all book. It's a feel-good book and my relationships with the people through the years. And, uh, you know, hopefully people enjoy parts of the book. You, you touched on Shannon. And I have Shannon. I have, a, I have a picture of her in my office every day. Here we go. Here right. we go, Jay. She's right here. Yes, sir. Um, so, you know, th this year we had um, the, the luck of her getting inducted into the uh, New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, I'm sure you had a, a hand in that as well. well no. um, how 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 great is that? I mean, for for her, for the people like ourselves who who miss her and love her every day, and her, yeah. just her kids who are now growing older and and getting to see exactly how much her mom. You, made you know to what? So many people. people forget. Listen, people are aware of her struggle with cancer for four years, but she should be remembered much more than that. And when she came to the Mets in '94, women in baseball PR or any PR was really an anomaly. It was hard, you know, you have a woman in a locker, but she was really a trailblazer. She commanded respect from the players. She wasn't afraid to confront the players, to ask them to do stuff. And 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 she was a pro's pro. And and you know, MLB picked her to work All-Star Games, World Series. She basically ran the World Series against the Yankees in 2000. She helped me with the uh, with the All-Star Game in 2013. And and even though when she when she was sick in 2015, she was part of the uh, you know the series against Kansas City. Just what she did. You know, she's the first woman ever to be inducted into the New York Baseball Hall of Fame and well-deserved. And it's like, this is the year of the woman. You have Camila Harris, you have, you know, the, the, the woman, the girl who played, the woman who played football at Vanderbilt, all the other stuff going on. And in the year of the woman, Shannon should be recognized for what she did in PR, because really she set the path for a lot of people to follow in, in that field. So, Jay, over, I mean, you've been involved with the Mets for now, you know, close to, was it 40 years almost? I don't want to, I don't want to age you. I don't want to age you, Jay, but. So how, how has things changed in your eyes? I mean, obviously the invent of social media has changed the way things are covered and 
Um, you know, how, how has, has it changed like the job that you had in, uh, as the, the head of PR for so many years? Well, when I, when I was a PR guy in the 80s, everything was on release would be in the next day. But now in the age of Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, you know, nobody writes releases anymore. I mean, we used to hold the, the player seminars in the spring. And players have to be so on guard what they do, who, who they write up in the elevator with, what restaurants they go to, who they walk in the street with. You know, it's everything is so much more immediate now. I mean, you know, no more, you know, you, 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 the agents break trades. The players, you know, talk about their injuries on Twitter. The players have to be so much more aware of what's going on than when I started. I mean, everything is immediate. There's no wait till tomorrow. Everything's today. And, you know, I can't, in my last couple of years, I, I think I maybe wrote two or three press releases. Everything, the agents, the, the people, the writers, not, not, nothing really kept it. it was, you know, nothing was really from the club. That, that was probably the biggest change. And the club hardly ever made any announcements anymore. It's just done by other people. So I know you, your, your two biggest loves in life, Jay, are the Mets and, of course, your, your New York football giants. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I, my, one of my favorite stories and I don't want to bring it up because I know it's probably still a sensitive subject, but was the Herm Edwards fumble recovery Yes, and your reaction to it. So can you yeah, give us I a I was little... at the game. Um, it was uh, against the, the Eagles. The Giants, we, you know, Joe Pisarczyk was the quarterback. All he had to do was, was, was kneel down. He handed it up to Larry Zock and they fumbled the ball. And Herm Edwards runs in for a cut check. So on that play, I broke my binoculars, my radio, and I cracked a bone in my wrist, slamming my hand down on the metal. Uh, seats at the old giant stadium that was one of the worst days ever 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 you know i mean uh, all, he had, all joe had to do was lie down and he didn't lie down he ended up to larry Sanka, picked up the ball ran for a touchdown and uh that was an ugly day billy ugly day for me as a guy who's watched a lot of baseball next year in the press box i know the binoculars are your yeah, like that's, you know, that's how you see everything. So I can envision it with just the slamming of the hands. Yeah, John Frank used to love my binoculars. Billy. He used to, I used to leave the binoculars in the locker room, and John every now and then would put blackout on the inner part of my binoculars. <laughs> I would go up to the, to the put the binoculars on, and the guy would say, Jay, you get into a fight? What do you mean? You got rings around your eyes. And I go back to the man's look in my mirror. I look like you, the old dog Petey on the little rascals with those big rings. And, you know, the bad part for me, he did it about four times to me every year. I never would be, I always leave and pick him up and I get to the dog, to the locker, to the press box, put my binoculars on. They have these big black rings around my eyes. It's like somebody belted me or something. <laughs> you mentioned Joe Torrey. Uh, did he have, was he a prankster at all? What, what would he do? Well, Joe, really, what, what what he did on my first road trip to Montreal, he took me to a tie shop on St. Catherine Street. He bought me seven of the ugliest ties, these big, fat ties. And he said, you have to wear them every day for three weeks. That alternated seven times. And I still have one of them. He always lets me forget it. Yeah, I do have a bone to pick with Joe. I was a, I, it was a background part in one of his uh, Bigelow tea commercials. They filmed it at Shea Stadium. And you could see me walking in the back, you know, when Joe was talking on the field. And I never got any residuals from that commercial. So I'm kind of mad with Joe. Every time I speak to him, Joe, you got to get me some money. I was on all your commercials and I didn't have a lot of money. And we said something to the poor Jewish kid, you know. <laughs> uh, Jay, this is my last one for me. And I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. So I'll throw it out there and see if you, you, you definitely don't remember, but I'll throw it out there. When I was 13 years old, I sent you a letter and you called me back 
and you helped me set up an interview with Carlos Bayerga for uh, a school report I was doing on Roberto Clemente. And I came to the ballpark that day and you treated me and my father who was with me, you know, like I was a beat writer for the times. Um, you treated me with the same respect and, and dignity that you've treated everybody that I've ever seen you interact with. And that day um, I decided this is what I want to do. You know, I decided that, that this is, this is what I want to do with my life. And uh, later on in life, I obviously got to work with you and I still consider you a friend. So well, I just no, wanted no. to say thank you for, for all of that, yeah. all these years later. Um, you know, and I, that's one thing that I take away, you know, whether I'm talking to someone like yourself or I'm talking to someone from one of the, 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 the local papers or a 13 year old kid looking to get into this, this business. I always keep that in mind and how you treated me yeah. and, and how, um, you know, you got me on this path. So I yeah. owe you for everything that, that has sort of come my way over these last well, that years. Makes so. you creepy. I've always tried to keep people the same, you know, and, and, you know, you know, I never, never threw a letter away from a sick kid, never had an answer to the email and that, you know, I, I just, what I try to do through my career is not to, you know, everybody who writes, try and take care of them the best you can. And if you can't let them know why you can't do it. So it makes you feel good, Bill. You're a good friend. And, uh, I'm happy for your success in your career. Keith, you're right. I'm sorry I made you sit there for a little bit through this. You know, it's been a little bit of a one-way conversation over here. I just have to be in the sequel, the the, the second book. Just throw me <laughs> in the second book as the host. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, no, Jay, that, that's awesome. I just love sitting back here. I know you guys have a great history. And yes, uh, yeah. when I was when I was young, getting into this business, I was as a broadcaster. I'm like, man, I got to be a really good storyteller, really good storyteller. And I would just you know, say, tell these stories that I'd read somewhere, but you have to live this stuff. You know, you have to, you have to experience for it first before you can, you know, say it on the air or write it in a book. And, uh, just well, listening to you guys, it's, 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 yeah, you have a great voice. I tell you that. I mean, I know no, you do. Thank you. <laughs> you have a great voice. You know, it's just about personal relationships. That's what, you know, I, I laugh with some of my friends in the NBA or the NFL say, well, we have a tough week. We got two games this week. You know, as Billy knows, you play, uh, <laughs> You play, you know, maybe 35 games this week training, 162 the postseason. So you got to really love it. It's in your blood. I mean, it's not like any other sport. It's it, now with all the winter meetings and the stuff, it's an all, it's an all year 24 7 job. You know, like football has all periods and really, really not all period in baseball, you know. But you know, I know you do. I wish you all the best. Oh, no.